Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 122. 122. Welcome back to all the subscribers, and I want to get into the the neocon today, and and we're going to take some time out to explain exactly what the neocon really is, because after Friday's episode, I think it was Friday. No, I don't even remember which of the after 121, um, which might have been Sunday night. I, I forget Saturday night. That's what I think. It was, Saturday night. After episode 121, I talked about things, you know, that that transpired with Jason, and I'm wishing my good friend, my dear friend Jason, well, and and his uh and his journey to to find the truth, and and I hope this podcast can hopefully can uh can can help explain some of that in in some sense. But I got a lot of questions uh, afterward, a lot of feedback, and people asking, what's the definition of a neocon? So I think, in in fairness. Uh, it's it's prudent for us to go back and talk about what neoconservatism is and as a result what the neocon really is and it, it is at the heart of matters and and because it when we talk about it you'll understand why it's at the heart of of the current events unfolding right now and there in the Middle East but all around the world uh, and and we'll be able to better understand things going forward as the conversation evolves from here this is sort of a benchmark of the podcast where, uh, we we have a lot of things in place. We have website in place. We have our patron platform in place. We have, uh, you know, our our lighting and our sound at working well. We we believe if you have problems with the sound or the lighting or the lighting, please let us know. But but we've got enough of a sample size from the from the audience to to know that those things are are pretty well positioned. So uh, a bit of experimentation through the first hundred or so episodes, but we feel like we found a sweet spot, and now we want to. Focus on evolving the conversation, starting with the neocon, not starting with BLM, not starting with the LGBTQ, not starting with radical feminism or the Time's Up Me Too movement. Uh, I talked about those a lot through the first half of the podcast or through the first 100 episodes. Now we're going to talk about the people inside the wire. And and this episode is appropriate to do so because I, I had to speak on a few truths that I think the conservative movement is is. Um, is slow to acknowledge. They're slow to 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 speak about with a full throat, and it's really holding us back. Um, and and it's holding us back in a number of ways. But mainly, we're getting robbed. Okay, so we're going to talk about the neocon today. But before I do that, I want to read a letter that was written by the great Archbishop Vigano, um, who was formerly the Apostolic Nuncio there in in the Vatican. Uh, so, you know, Archbishop Vigano is somebody in the Catholic Church who has cautioned about the deep church, which in many ways mirrors the deep state of, of the United States of America and this sort of globalist mentality or mindset. And he's been called a conspiracy theorist and he's been called somebody who just wants attention. And, and by speaking out against the corruption there in the Vatican and in the Ro- and, and Rome is, is somebody we shouldn't listen to. But I wanted to share his letter, if I can, to start the podcast. Come forth in the name of God. Message for the Reawaken American Tour, America Tour, October 14th, 2023. This is about two weeks back. 
Dear friends, praise be Jesus Christ. Allow me to address you, first of all, to thank you for the witness you are giving to your fellow Americans. The awakening of consciences is the first step towards liberation from a subversive leadership that has usurped the highest places in both national and international institutions. Because opening one's eyes and looking at reality is essential if you are to understand what is really happening, denounce the globalist coup d'etat and regain the national sovereignty and fundamental freedoms that have been taken away from you. You have all witnessed in recent years a radical change in society, a change planned by people without any electoral mandate and imposed by sold-out rulers. The United States of America, like many other nations hostage to the Agenda 2030, is facing a very serious crisis, inflation, an out-of-control, self-induced migration crisis, human trafficking and child trafficking, rampant crime and the weakening of law enforcement, the liberalization of crime and impunity, social degradation everywhere, new drugs, the new drugs that ruin the people who take them, the aberrations of woke ideology, the LGBTQ plus agenda imposed in schools, discrimination against whites, and there is still more, the war against President Donald Trump, the electoral fraud in the presidential election, the great reset plans that seem to be proceeding smoothly, and the bottomless pit of funding and military aid that seeks to prolong the conflict in Ukraine thereby covering up the crimes of the Biden family and the Democrats. And finally, a very disturbing new scenario of war in the Middle East. This multi-pronged siege has all the hallmarks of an unconventional war that is far more devastating than an armed conflict. And I'm gonna stop there. That's only about half of the letter, but I, I, wanna, I wanted to start with that piece just for two reasons. Number one, I think people get the, the Catholic faith tradition in the Catholic community very mistaken that there's this sort of hegemonic, uh, you know, su submission to the Pope. It's, it's often a Catholic trope that, that we all follow the Pope and nobody deviates from the Pope's worldview or mandates. And there are people within the Catholic Church, especially as of late and rightfully, sh rightfully so, per Catholic tradition and doctrine, that are very upset and in, 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 in disagreement with the way that the current Pope has, has went about uh, his position as the vicar of, of Christ in the Catholic community. And um, I just wanted to share how, how Archbishop Vigano speaks. And now you should, in my opinion, uh, it, it's somewhat inappropriate to speak the way that you write. I think writing is a different medium than speaking. Um, but, but it just goes to show you that when the Archbishop uh, of, of the Catholic Church or former you know, an archbishop of the Catholic Church, such as uh, Carl, Carl Vigano, who wants to speak about globalism and the threats that face us here in America. Specifically, this letter was to Americans um, that, that he doesn't hold any punches and he doesn't talk down to his audience. He speaks directly about the issues in, in accurate and precise terms that, that help illustrate and articulate the full scope of what we're, what we're facing. Um, and he goes on in, in the letter to explain things, you know, in, 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 great, in great depth. Um, and I really appreciate Archbishop Vigano. I had the privilege to speak before him in a virtual conference uh, of which I had no idea I was going to be speaking before him. And it's a, it's a, great, a great life's honor uh, to have, have been able to do that, um, even unknowingly. So I still have to try and find that, that conference and... Uh, and share that with my kids. I mean, to speak before uh, somebody as as uh, as profound, insightful, and courageous as 
as Archbishop Vigano is, is a true honor. So let's deal with this neocon thing. I got a bunch of people who asked me, what, what, what do you mean by neoconservative? What is a neoconservative to you? How do you define it? And, you know, in order to define the neocon, I have to go back, go back after World War II, which I often do, but I'm going to do again today for anybody who may be new to the podcast or anybody who hasn't heard it before. If I go back to World War II, you know, Germany surrenders, Japan gets, gets hit with the atomic bomb, America and the, and the Allied forces have, have seemingly won World War II, and, and there's going to be a restructuring of the entire global community. Now, the restructuring took place in a form of, of international peacekeeping uh, organization known as the United Nations. Before, in World War I, it was the League of Nations, then it became the United Nations, and now along with the United Nations came a set of, of international monetary agencies that would help restructure the monetary system to try and f- facilitate peace. From that, there was a conference called the Bretton Woods Conference. Bretton Woods was essentially when America came to the table and and created a a gold standard base monetary system uh, of which America would be the the, the hegemony of this this global monetary system um, and and thus become really the, the dominant power in the world. And I start there for no other reason than to help people understand it was Bretton Woods Conference and and the inception of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and and what would become agencies like the World Economic Forum or the Federal Reserve System. It was Bretton Woods Conference that set the stage for America's dollar to become our number one export. And if you don't know that, we'll be revisiting it later. But but it's important to note here and now that as far as America's economy goes. The United States dollar is our number one export, which makes us unique, right? As the reserve currency of the world, the United States dollar is our number one export. So, so Bretton Woods Conference and that entire restructuring of the monetary policy set the stage for where we are today. Now, over 20 years, and this was a 20-year project, this was 20 years of, of ebbs and flows of policy. Some would say that the players who wanted to bring this about were already in place and, and working on this agenda, but, but things really got kicked off when, when Nixon uh, and, and Kissinger laid out their, their plot, I would call it, to take us off the gold standard. And when we got taken off the gold standard was, was sort of the inception of the neoconservative movement that would then be doubled down and tripled down on with the Bushes, okay? And, and Reagan was in there. Reagan was a part of that transition. He was the happy face. He was the happy face. He was the likable guy who had all the neocons sort of to the back of him uh, that, that either used him or uh, used his, his likeness and, and his, uh, his likability to, to forward their agenda. And now, obviously, when we talk about Reagan, as I pointed out, the Iran-Contra scandal was, was an incredible scandal, the, the biggest scandal of Reagan's uh, presidency, where we got into a three-way trade uh, off the books, uh, a three-way deal brokered by the CIA between the Iranians, the Sandinistas, and, and black communities, or communities all across America, really, uh, with drugs and money and guns and sort of a, a drugs and guns for money, a, a black bag, black money, dark money sort of 
sort of uh, scam or mission was was run. And you had all the usual specs, suspects, people that you would know from history, infamous names such as Oliver North, uh, you know, who was a, a lieutenant at the time, but but Oliver North was working with the CIA in some respects to facilitate and broker these deals. Um, so the CIA was involved. And, and also, um, it, there were people who were a part of Reagan's administration. Now, a person's administration is large, right? I mean, we know that, that you know, when you say it's a part of his administration, you can't really throw everything at his feet. And, and that's the correction I want to make in some respects to my last podcast and talking about Mark Levin. I want to be a little bit more, um, I want to be a little bit more detailed, I might say, right? I want to be a little bit more nuanced. And that's why you might need a two and a half hour podcast to talk about these things because just the nuance alone will help you understand, hopefully help you understand how to look at the, the world as it is versus how it may appear or how some want you to see it. So Edwin Meese, and I got his name wrong. I called him Edward Meese, but I was in the I was in the heat of battle there between me and, and Mark Levin and, and my good friend who is now being co-opted by the neocons, Jason Whitlock, who I love and respect. And if you unsubscribe from Fearless, you're no friend of mine. And if you are still watching Fearless, give Jason a shout and tell him that we're lo- we love him and we're praying for him and, and we are going to save him from the neocons. I promise that. Um in the heart of in the in the heat of of conversation and and a, an emotional evening, I mispronounced uh, Attorney General Meese's first name. His name is Edwin Meese. My apologies. Um, and as I said, he was the Attorney General, and and what many claimed his his participation in the Iran Contra scandal was um, essentially. He tried to mitigate the exposure for President Reagan. Right, he was he was a, a loyal Attorney General in that in that respect. He he tried to um, basically separate Reagan and Reagan's presidency and legacy and and uh, you know his image from Oliver North and the sort of security and deep state that had run this mission uh, underneath uh, Reagan's watch, and and respectfully. I'm not saying that Reagan knew what happened during the Iran-Contra scandal. Now, there are many people who would say that Reagan for sure knew what was going on. Um, and, and there was a lot of controversy that at the time, Oliver North had obstructed justice by destroying documents at the order of William Casey, who was the director of the CIA. Uh, or he was he was recommended to destroy documents. And if he's destroying documents and, and the attorney general's involved and and you got Oliver North who, you know, fell on his sword, so to speak, and said, hey, this was all my deal in exchange for immunity of a sort. I mean, charges were brought, but eventually he was given a pass, all but given a pass. And he actually ran for Senate there in Virginia when when the when the whole thing became declassified. And if I might add, Oliver, Oliver North, uh, Edwin Meese, the attorney general, with his chief of staff and attorney, Mark Levin, good old Mark Levin from the Blaze, Mark Levin were were one of the were some of the staunch advocates to keep the Iran Contra scandal classified, not to release the documents publicly. Per the historical record. Now, do I understand that when it comes to security state and, and security clearance and, and classifying, declassifying documents, 
the military and, and the level of secrecy that has become normal for American citizens and American politics is is so deep that that who knows what really went down. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But on paper, there are some things historically we can point to and say, wait a minute. It, it begs to call some of these people, especially those still in prominent positions in the spotlight, to speak on these issues, especially given that we are now entering into a time with some of the similar problems with the security state, with the intelligence community, and with the administrative state. Um, so I, I don't want to make any false accusations that Reagan for sure knew about what went down with the Iran-Contra scandal. In fact, I would even venture to guess, because I often think, if I were the president of the United States, how would I even go about daily operations? And if you take the time right now to think about that yourself, just in today's context, currently for President Biden or President Trump, there are 19 intelligence agencies alone, just in the intelligence community. And every day, the president of the United States gets a daily brief from the director of national intelligence on an aggregate of all 19 intelligence agencies. You got the CIA, the NHA, the, the NSA, the DHS, the DIA, the DOD. I mean, you know, they're just it, it, the FBI. It goes on and on and on. And so really, you you have to figure the only way to even handle such a such a a vast amount of information is to compartmentalize and hire or appoint great people who you trust uh, to your administration to head these agencies and to look over this material for you and 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 have the wisdom themselves to know which things they need to bring you which things need your attention and which things don't i mean and that's just the intelligence community don't forget the department of you know housing and you got energy and and transportation and and so on and so forth. I mean, and not we haven't even gotten to trade and, and our foreign relations. You know, this this thing, government at this size is a shit show. And I'm not making an excuse for Reagan or politicians writ large. I'm just saying I understand the scope of it. But that is why leadership is so important and integrity is so important and a culture is, is set that is not based on a, a sort of good old boys club or who I graduated from college with, or, you know, it has to really be based on merit. And, and, and the American people um, often become, become the first line of defense from the administrative state and, and our elected offices being hijacked by, not, not by the candidates who get elected, but by the power brokers that sit around. This is why Steve Bannon was so adamant about, about deconstructing the administrative state, because there are many administrators in there who have been in there for a long time and have many secrets to protect and have a lot of corruption that they benefit from. So Iran-Contra happens, and then, you know, after Reagan, you get Daddy Bush. Oh, and Daddy Bush triples down on, on the intelligence, on, on um, the security state, and effectively uh, the military-industrial complex. We went into a war in Iraq, Afghanistan, but don't forget we had Desert Storm. You know, the, the conflict in the Middle East really got got tense um, d during the, the Bush's reign. And the Bushes, although Reagan is the saint of the Republican Party, uh, of the conservative movement, the Bushes really are the face of what we would call neoconservatism. 
right? And when you go look into neoconservatism, I'm, I'm not going to go all into the history and, and tell you every name, but I can I can tell you a few names like Elliot Abrams and and um, uh, you know uh, you got uh, the Kagan brothers, right? And and just so happens. And we'll get to this in a moment when we talk about how the neoconservatism is linked to globalism, like Archbishop Vigano was was talking about. And I think the conservative movement and the Mark Levins get a serious pass from being considered in our conversations about globalism. We sort of leave out the neocon in that equation, not at the grassroots level. A lot of grassroots MAGA America first citizens understand this dynamic, but but for some reason, your conservatives that spend a lot of time talking about BLM or a woman's right to choose or the LGBTQ, for some reason, often just completely miss the, the boat when it comes to military and military industrial complex. Not by accident, and I'm going to explain how in a moment. So, you know, you can look up the Kagans and, you know, Kagan married to Victoria Newland, who is a liberal. Right. I mean, she's not hiding it. She's as woke as they come. Victoria Newland, WEF, uh, you know, ambassador to Ukraine. And she's the she's the 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 queen bee of the whole Ukraine, Russia. Foreign, uh, you know, vertical. She's the one she's the, the, the lead woman. And uh, her her husband, Kagan, just so happens to be high up the trough in the Council of Foreign Relations, right, the CFR. And if any of you know about the CFR, you know, it. you talk about globalism, it doesn't get any more globalist than the Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, if you don't know about it, please go read into it. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But the neoconservatism that we now accept in the conservative movement, people who often hide out as being MAGA or America First, like Mark Levin, are running a real con. And, and let me tell you what the con is. It goes back to us going off of the, the gold standard and having a fiat currency. And when this whole Israel deal popped up, me and my best friend, A.J. Barker, who I plan to have on the show in the, in the weeks to come, as soon as his schedule permits, he's a, he's a teacher. Um, so he works during the weeks, and, and, and I film you know, during the day, and, and then it airs at night. But uh, hopefully on the weekend, we'll we'll find a time to get him in here and, and you can hear two young conservatives perspective on on what we're looking at. But he mentioned the vassal state, the the, the idea of vassalism. And it, it dawned on me that we have a reverse vassal. Empire, right, a vassal empire, a vassal state is, uh, you know, we're America, we protect you, you pay tribute to us for us to protect you, right? Somewhere in here, it, it switched. And, and I think a, a key moment was when we went off of the, the gold standard and the currency became explicitly a fiat currency. Because now, wherever the United States dollar was, anywhere in the world, we had a, a justification to come and protect our national interests. Back to the very beginning, the number one export of America is our dollar itself. So if our dollar is in your country, if you're a part of the deal, if you're a part of the reserve currency system, we have a justification to come protect our national interests. And now that our military is there, when our military is there, now our military being there becomes the national interest itself. And that has effectively 
brought us into a, a very hostile tinderbox all around the world on many fronts, but especially there in Asia on the Eurasian landmass. Because, you know, we have to ask the question constantly, where does offense end and defense begin or vice versa? This is not an easy concept. This is not an easy question. And, and I don't pity anybody who has to uh, make that decision or call in a position of power. I'm not saying it's easy. But what I am saying is it takes a very wise, insightful, human, human sort of uh, spiritual, sacred honor perspective to, to get those types of, of questions and thus answers even remotely right. And we have not had good, we have not had people who really asked the question in earnest, let alone be able to give righteous answers. And that's why we find ourselves spread very thin, like the Roman Empire, protecting reverse vassal states all around the world, Israel being one of them, despite my support for Israel. I support Israel, but I also support Palestine being able to not get genocided. I mean, come on, what are we talking about? But, but anyway, Israel's a great example. And that's why this Mark Levin situation, with him being a neocon, and the conversation about Israel popping up, and my calling out Mark Levin has caused some trouble in the campfire, or at least it's created tension in the camp. And, and I'm unwilling to overlook these people. Just to be frank, there will be no neocon co-opt of the America First nationalist populist movement this year. Maybe next year, maybe after you guys kill me or find some trumped up charges to haul me off to a gulag. But as long as I'm here free, to be able to speak the truth, there will not be a neocon co-opt of this movement in this election cycle. We're going to put a stop to that shit right here, right now. Reverse vassalism. Israel is a vassal state. They're, they're a, a, a state that we protect, and we pay them. And it started to dawn on me as this Israel thing unfolded, and I thought about the, the relationship between us and Israel. How, how does anybody justify us paying them to protect them. And then it clicked. What we're really doing is we're paying countries to be shell corporations for our military industrial complex. We're paying you to be a, 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 an outpost of, of, our, of our nation so our military has a justification to come do its business there. And its business is arms dealing. You know, America's other um, unique export is arms. Now, it's not one of the biggest exports of the American economy, but as far comparable to the rest of the world, we are the number one arms dealer exporter in the entire world. Well, just as a matter of fact, if you, if you create this relationship with an Israel, for example, or any other nation, and you, you pay them to protect them, and they are now effectively a sort of shell corporation for your military, your national interest, and you have to constantly send them weapons or aid, uh, like the great Russell Brand said, it creates the sort of circumstance for you to continuously need uh, to clear your inventory, right? Just not only to clear, clear your inventory, but to create conflict to clear your inventory. Right. Let's start a war so that we we can go to war and that all of these all of these sort of, uh, you know, stockpiles of, of weapons and, and, and 
vehicles and, and you know, all this other equipment, ammunition, whatever it is, um, we now have to get rid of that. And and what happens is now there's there is a a, a void that can be filled by those who manufacture military for the military industrial complex. And we saw that in Ukraine. When the Ukraine went into a fight, what did we give them? We gave them old, old stuff, right? The F-16 is old. We didn't give them, you know, B-2 bombers. We didn't give them B-2-1 Raiders. We gave them, you know, F, I mean, might, might have been F-15s or F-14s or whatever it was. They're older, older planes, older technology. And, and some of the anti-tank missiles and things like that were probably older as well. Follow me here. What's the point of it? The con is, and, and respectfully to all you conservatives out there, I'm going to say something that, that will, will probably feel like an attack, but I promise you it's not. It's me trying to call you into the truth and show you the way the same way I did my dear friend Jason Whitlock, who both of us are black men, so it has nothing to do with race. But, but in this case, the Mark Levins of the world, the, the Fox Newses of the world, the Sean Hannity's, the George W. Bushes, the Bush seniors, the, you know, the entire neocon crew, Kagan and, and uh, you know, all of them, all of them. The con is that they're going to always provide fear somewhere, sell a narrative of fear to justify stealing your fucking money, stealing the taxpayer's money. And it is that simple. That is the neocon, right? We're going to find a justification wherever we need to to steal your shit and for you to like it, for you to accept it, for you to cheer it on. And a lot of you do cheer it on. And it's not just showing in Israel. It shows up there when it comes to the Russians, and it shows when we're in the Middle East in general, and it shows all over the place. It shows that not only can they trick you, into, not only can they steal your shit, can they con you out of your tax money, they can get you to cheer for it. And what are the three things they use to get you to cheer for having your tax money taken from you, stolen from you, misappropriated. Geography. Somebody somewhere else far away is doing something you can't see. We got to surveil them. We got to keep our eyes on them. If we don't keep our eyes on them, no telling what they might do. Could end up in your neighborhood. Okay. Second thing, religion. Oh, that's a good go-to. Oh, these people over here, they have a different belief of, than you ideologically. Although it may be true. And the first one. I digress. These people over here believe something different than you. We got to keep an eye on them. We got we to gotta suppress them. We got to keep the gate around them or, or this thing may spill out and, and, and come to a theater near you. And the last one, which is dark and much less socially accepted today, is race. I mean, these people are Arabs. These people are uh, Russians. These people are, are whatever they need to be. They're different than you, right? They don't think the same way you do. That one's a little less socially accepted, but you feel the premise, right? And when you go back in the history, it's funny. The, the woke left and the woke right, oh boy, they, they sure know how to work together and push everybody into the middle and get them arguing so that they can work both sides of the scam, right? Uh, they're on all sides of the trade. Not only this, this Ponzi scheme, but, but the trade of the narrative, right? The social narrative 
the construction of the social narrative, and the selling of it. They're on all sides of the trade. Because in one sense, the left will tell you that white colonialism is the, the, the great evil of history. And they always fail to, to mention that the Arabs were the flip side of that drugs, piracy, slavery, globalist business model. The Arabs have always been in on the globalist business model. I don't know in what strange world the woke left gets off on creating this, this fugazi of a, of a historical record where the Arabs are, are saintly or the oppressed, right? No, the Arabs had the intercontinent, the intercontinental Eurasian slave trade, Eurasian slave trade. Uh, and, and the British Empire had the, the transatlantic slave trade. Right? They were both slavers. From Great Britain all the way down to, to, uh, to Saudi Arabia, all right? From, from, from England to Saudi Arabia, they were running a trade deal, right? They were running, they were running slaves. They're slavers. Okay? They're slave-taking nations. And quite frankly, you know, their enemy-slash-ally-slash-neutral giant there in the East China is an ancient slave-taking nation. And quite frankly, Japan was a slave-taking nation. I mean, they tried to enslave the entire Chinese population on record as a means to build the Japanese empire. They're our ally now, and don't get me wrong, the samurai are, 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 are a, you know, they're a formidable bunch. But dropping two atomic bombs on a country can, can change the cultural perspective. I mean, we all understand that. They make jokes that, you know, J Japan went from samurais and, and, and um, kamikaze bombers to Hello Kitty in, 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 in 50, 60 years, 70 years, whatever the case may be. But, and that's true, and it's, it's not really funny because the atomic bomb is an inciting incident in history as well for military-industrial complex. I digress. So these are the three things that they will always go to. They will always find a way to go to these three things to to – Create fear to justify the neocon. Geography, religion, race. Somebody somewhere who believes and, and has faith and prays to someone different than you, who looks different than you, and is just innately different than you, we have to watch them and we have to always be ready to strike or else they're going to make it to a theater near you. Con. What's the con? The con is a $2 trillion a year budget a $2 trillion a year budget that has to make do no matter what. I mean, the business of it is so consistent. You can see where the impulse is to, to continue the scam. And th therein lies the danger. And therein lies a, 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 a portion of the administrative state that, that is not only uh, dishonest, but in some sense desensitized and, and, and and, and uh, desensitized to the, to the prospect of war and, and then, you know, becomes bloodthirsty. $2 trillion a year, the, the, the budget, you know, for defense. $2 trillion a year, got to make do. Got to make do. It's probably really $3 trillion a year. There's a lot of claims out there that from the black budgets and all the things that get siphoned off from everything else that still funnel its way back into military or intelligence or black ops or whatever, probably looking at around $3 trillion a year. Okay, you take $3 trillion a year, what's the VIG on it? How much can they steal from it? Probably about $1 trillion at least. Okay, so the VIG on it is $1 trillion. 
All right. You whack $1 trillion up between 2,000 people, and you see where we have a big fucking problem, I hope. Right. When 2,000 people whack up a trillion dollars every single year, we see where the American taxpayer not having $500 to put together in a crisis is a real crime of taxation, a real crime of representation, a real misuse of, of military and defense and, and security to, to make American citizens beg for economic tyranny. $3 trillion a year, a trillion dollars a year goes to about 2,000 people. 2,000 contractors or CEOs or administrative, uh, you know, uh, gurus or politicians or PACs or, or the, the lawyers doing the deal, brokering the deal or whatever the case may be. Big, big cash cow. And when you see it through that lens, you start to understand how people on both sides of the aisle who are ideologically opposed in every other sense find their way back to the middle of the row when it comes time to go to war. And so when I go on Jason or Fearless or when I go on War Room with Steve Bannon or when I go on InfoWars and I emphasize the military-industrial complex, this is why. Because despite all of our cultural wedge issues, for some strange reason, our politicians who never really come together under any other premise, any other auspices other than military. Military. And they'll fence it as national defense. They'll fence it as homeland security. They'll fence it, fence it as national security. But really, I mean, you've been telling us the Iranians are developing a nuclear weapon for uh, 30 years, 25 years. And it's getting harder and harder to believe the whole narrative as things unfold. I mean... If nobody in the intelligence community is watching Israel's wall, it's very hard for me to believe that you have the proper surveillance on Iran to know whether or not they're developing nuclear weapons. It's just me. I mean, I'm just going to first principles logic again here. If you can't see Hamas rolling up on Israel with 5,000 rockets, either we're spread too thin and we don't have the surveillance to watch all of the national interests we say we need to, which is what happens when you follow in the footsteps of, of the Roman Empire. Um, or we do have the surveillance that we need to, and we're lying about the Iranians developing nuclear weapons because we're watching them the same way we're watching Hamas, which makes this latest attack in Israel now in question. You see how the two sides of the, of the narrative don't really reconcile with one another? Well, they can run that story on you because they'll just fill your timeline with the LGBTQ and abortion. And, and I'm not saying those aren't important issues. But what I'm saying is the people like Mark Levin spend all their time ratcheting up the fear and emotion of, of middle white America, of boomer white America, with their 401ks and their, five, and, 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 you know, their, their pensions and their Medicaid and their Medicare. They spend all their time ratcheting up the emotion and the fear about, about you know, these cultural wedge issues, and, and we continuously miss, overlook, or, or just flat out don't want to see the military-industrial complex sticking its fucking hand in your pocket and taking every last penny it can, it can take, taking everything that's not tied down. 
And what's the what's the deepest, deepest and ugliest, most most dishonest part of the neocon? The most ugliest part of the neocon is it's not really conservative. It's liberal. I mean, it is liberal. And and when you listen to a David Frum, which is why I replayed the the debate between David Frum and and Steve Bannon, David Frum, who's another neocon, worked for President Bush, was in the administration. He comes right out and says in the debate, hey, conservatism is to conserve what is liberal. I mean, flat out says this is liberalism. I mean, we just have our specific brand, right? And that's exactly what it is. And, I, and I'll tell you, when it comes to the money, when it comes to the, the, the two sides of the political dichotomy, finding their way back to the middle of the row with the cannon pointed right at your wallet, right at your, your, uh, your net worth, uh, right at your quality of life, your standard of living, the value of your citizenship. When they get there, oh, their friends on the left do the same thing. There are two main budget items that happen, that take place, that are funded every year, that always make do. Military, which the neocons run, and Medicaid, Medicare, which the socialist Democrats run. Uniparty. Always got to make do. And, and it's so convenient to be able to say, I mean, this is what a con man's going to do. Like, everybody would look at that and go, well, yeah, we, we, we should have health care. We have to take care of our citizens, and yeah, we should. And we have to have defense so that we can protect our borders, and yeah, we absolutely should. The question is, the question should be in your mind. What does it say that the two parties who control these two factions intentionally use legislation to inflate the cost and then make you pay the inflated price. Where I'm from, that would be called guerrilla pimping. Where I'm from, that would be called uh, guerrilla dealing, right? I mean, you get, a, you get a distro in a neighborhood, right? A distro or a plug or a connect, somebody who has access to a big amount of product, and they're going to they're gonna distribute it wholesale to a number of dealers in a given neighborhood, town, maybe they're doing it across the country, like Freeway Ricky Ross did from L.A., who was working with the Iran-Contra CIA deal, and his drugs made it all the way across the country. You know, $400 million cocaine empire. Who knows how much money he just blew off, but but almost a billion dollars probably, in, you know, inflate-adjustable. Billion-dollar cocaine, uh, you know, enterprise, just wholesaling. From state to state, right? So, so you get a dealer, and uh, let's say you at home want to go buy from uh, dealer B. You know, dealer A's. You know, you've been working with him for three months, and and then you know six months or whatever it is, and and dealer B comes along, and he has a better deal, or or maybe you want to switch product or whatever the case may be. Right? Sorry to use a drug deal analogy, but I'm. I'm trying to connect the dots here for my boomers and for my young black men who may who may think in this sort of dialectic. Hopefully we can find some real common ground to save this fucking republic. Dealer B comes along and dealer A says, you know what? If you buy from dealer B, I'm going to kill you. That's just it. This is the price. I'm I'm increasing the price. I'm increasing the price for no other reason other than my own 
vices, agendas, uh, ambitions, my own greed, I'm increasing the price and you got to buy. That, my friends, is exactly what the neocons and the neoliberals have done with the defense budget and the Medicaid and Medicare budget. With defense and health care, four to five trillion dollars a year, four to five trillion dollars every single year, and it has to make do. And not only does it have to make do by legislative and polit- uh, political uh, mandate, it has to make do because you beg for it. They're making you beg for it, and then they're making you buy it at an inflated cost. My friends, this is robbery. This is illegitimate by so many standards, it's almost hard to talk about. I've tried to do my best not using profanity on this podcast because I figure it's educational. Maybe you want to sit down with your children and let them listen, so I've tried to keep the profanity to a minimum, but I'm having a really tough time. I got to tell you, you know, this level of dishonesty, this level of, of crookedness, this scope of crookedness is the greatest Ponzi scheme ran in human history, in human history, I digress. The neocon, Mark Levin, right at the head of the, the snake, right at the top seat of the table. He's the conservative voice for America. And he wants to fund Israel and Ukraine in perpetuity, as much as they need, unlimited. He can say he wants to put, uh, you know, uh, conditions on it. Really, he hasn't said he wanted to put any conditions on it. He's like, you know, Let's fight it out until we win. No telling what that means. You know, in Russia, we know what it means. In Russia, the Atlanticists, they want to take back Crimea. I mean, give me a break. Why do we care about some shithole territory between the Ukrainians and the Russians? Ukraine, little, little tiny place. Russia, big place, big military, big nuclear arsenal. Ooh, let's go to war with Russia in perpetuity. You know, Russia, war probably never makes landfall here in the States. Great justification to take your tax money. Got to beware of the Russians. Taiwan, oh, that'd be even better. I mean, let's just shoot our way to the top, boys. Let's just shoot our way right to the top of the heap. The money heap, the money pile, right? And let's just hope as a consequence that a nuclear war doesn't break out. And, oh, if a nuclear war breaks out, you know, we got other people. We, we got other people who that would benefit. And now this is where the neoconservative neocon, the neoliberal, neoconservative, neocon, the new con from these two, these two jamokes, these two bad hombres. This is where it becomes a globalist con, right? Doesn't get much, much, it doesn't get much more globalist than a uh, staunch sort of dogmatic interventionist foreign policy, right? We have to intervene all over the world to protect our national interests here at home. I mean, that's kind of the sine qua non of globalism, to be quite honest. It's not this intellectual, posh sort of, sort of a, a esoteric, you know, philosophy. It's like tangible, measurable, metric. We're coming. Our dollar's there. Our military's there. Not only are we making arms, you're going to buy them. You're going to buy them from us at market value, probably probably marking it up. I don't know. Who knows, really? Because anytime you get to, to audit in the Department of Defense, you know, billions of dollars just go missing. We don't know. 
you know, nobody even has their arms around it because we're all so afraid of the Muslims. Give me a break. Not afraid of no Muslims. Secondarily, this is where the neocon movement becomes a full-blown globalist movement. Because the, the reverse vassal state only leads to two inevitable outcomes. One, we go to war. We win a war. We go to war. There's a stalemate. Both sides sort of rescind to their, their respectable corners. Cooler heads prevail until the war pops off again. The war machine is good. It's healthy. We can, we can justify defense in between wars uh, in case we're ever attacked again, right? 9-11. Um, the, other, the other scenario is that we, we push war all the way to the, to the grand finale. And here is where it's, it's very hard to know who's gaming who, whether the military, industrial complex, the neocons of America are gaming the globalists or whether the globalists are gaming the neocons. I mean, it's, it's not so easy to tell. And if, I, if I'm being honest, I would say that, that probably what, what's taking place is there is a, 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 a group of of intellectual, scientific, managerial elites there, like in Davos, who have their their tentacles in both sides and all sides of, of the trade, and they're trying to manage it and, and make sure they're in position to absorb the momentum of whatever outcome takes place. And this brings me to the latest development in, in our sort of uh, ongoing fallout there on the Eurasian landmass. The new access of evil, the new access of evil, as laid out by uh, newly elected Speaker of the House um, Johnson, Speaker Johnson. Um, the new access of evil is Iran, Russia, and China. Right, the Iron Triangle, as I so, uh, you know. I, I, I said it a, a few days ahead of time, but I was really trying to urge this on Jason Whitlock's show on Fearless. I tried to talk about the Iron Triangle and, and the alliance on paper between Iran, China, and Russia um, because I knew that this, was, this, this is going to become a topic of, of, uh, of significance. And look, let me... Let me, let me Help out here if, if I can. It's not that Iran, China, and Russia isn't a newly formed alliance. It's not that the Iron Triangle isn't a threat or a danger. That's, that's not the issue here. The issue here is who are they working for? See, we all want to, we in the West want to believe that they're working on their own merit, that they're working on their own, for their own interests, and part of it is, is maybe, maybe that. But it's just as likely that they're working in the interest of someone else. There's someone else pulling their strings. There's someone else influencing them. And it was Kissinger and Nixon, and it was the, the you know, the, the whole going into China and this idea that when we went into China, we would make them more Chinese. Same thing we did with the Russians. 
you know, we opened up this trade agreement with the Russians after the fall of the, the Soviet Union and, and Russia was going to become more Western. The Iranians, they didn't have a problem with the West since the days of the Greeks, right? The Persians, the Persians have felt that the, the Persian Empire should have dominated the world, not Western democracy or this idea of freedom and whatnot, that they all should have came under, that we all should have come under the empirical rule of, of what they deem as the greatest empire in history, the Persian Empire. So the Persians ain't never had no love for the West. But fallen empire, you know, remnant of an empire, take the money, you know, they they get it how they can, right? <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna do what they need to 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 continue to play the game. And they've caused a shit stir there in the Middle East. I mean, the proxy war between them and the Saudis is uh, one that you can barely make heads or tails of, truly. Now, on the on the faith and Islamic side, again, religion is one of the three the three springboards that steal your tax money. Faith, the Iranians, you know, at least publicly say that they should be the they should be the rightful stewards of of Islam. They should be the rightful they should have Mecca and Medina. They want Mecca and Medina. They feel the Saudis have been too amenable to to westernization uh in in the heartland of of the faith of Islam. Are the Saudi sellouts to the faith? Hey, by their own standards and their own admission, I guess you could say so. Not much different than us here in the West with Christianity, but I digress. Everybody's abandoning the faith at some level. But that's the Iranians' claim. I don't buy it. I have another theory. My theory of the case is that when we went to go teach the Chinese how to become the manufacturing superpower of the world, that European, that European, uh, the Europeanization of, of China, the, the Western influence of China, let them in on a few secrets. Not unlike the secrets that China steals today with proprietary and intellectual property and proprietary uh, technology, intellectual property, and so on and so forth. The Chinese will steal your shit, effectively, is what I'm trying to say. Well, when we went to go do this deal to make them the, 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 the next global manufacturing uh, superpower, we, we let them in on a few secrets. And one of them, like I've spoken about in the show many times before, is Mackinder's land theory, the Mackinder World Island theory. And again, to take you back through this history for anybody who doesn't, who hasn't seen it or heard it on the show before or doesn't know about it, I'm going to do so. If you've heard about it or if you know about it, please just bear with me. For the people who may not, I intend to be educational, so we have to work with everybody where they're at. I don't want to talk over people's heads. Halford John Mackinder was a British intellectual in the early 1900s, right before the inception of the Federal Reserve System here in America, but the the and and World War One. I. I mean, that was another um, benchmark or, or key key point in that timeline. You, had, you know, Halford John Mackinder makes this claim about the Eurasian landmass and the World Island theory, and then we had the Federal Reserve make landfall here in America, and then we went into a world war, World War I. So McKinder's theory was, again, to, to restate, that Britain, Great Britain as a naval power, if they continued to rely solely on naval supremacy, 
was going to be behind the curve, behind the eight ball in a world that that seemed it was going to evolve drastically in ground transportation and air transportation. That as ground transportation and air transportation advanced, all of the supremely uh, naval, uh, supremely naval, naval based powers would become obsolete and would eventually fall under the rule of these more sophisticated armies, countries, nations, empires. And so his caution to Great Britain was that area known as the heartland, which is in effect the Ukraine, that, that little, that little area there, um, that, that he who controls the heartland control, he who controls the heartland, no, he who controls Eastern Europe controls the heartland. He who controls the heartland controls the Eurasian world island, that the heartland was the key to dominance, military and economic dominance on the Eurasian landmass. The Eurasian landmass is actually the Afro-Eurasian landmass, but hey, how for John McKinder, being a, a, an acolyte or a descendant of the, the school of thought from Darwin, you know, why would he count the Africans in it? They're not even a, they're not even a real part of it, right? They're, they're just there, right? I'm not trying to make it a racial thing, but come on. Darwin, social Darwinism, this was what, what led to, to uh, race, race ideology. That is another, another red herring to distract us from a bunch of money schemes and scams and political, corrupt political agendas. So the Afro-Eurasian landmass is what got abbreviated to being the Eurasian landmass. And McKinder's theory was if you control the, the Eurasian landmass, you control 50% of the world's resources. Which is true. And all of these Western elites, all of these Western academics, all of these intellectuals, politicians, corporate leaders, right, CEOs, titans of industry, all of them after World War II were forced to adopt Great Britain's foreign policy. Their foreign policy has always led back to McKinder's land theory. Um, and, and that was the deal that was done between Churchill and Roosevelt. The Atlantic Charter, another thing you should go and become familiar with, the Atlantic Charter was Winston Churchill uh, going to Roosevelt, saying they needed help to defend the, 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 the Nazis. And Roosevelt told him, hey, you know, we will help you, but you have to surrender your colonial empire. And what he was really telling him is, we'll take it from here, champ. We got it. Yeah, we'll, we'll help you, but we're going to, we, we have our own ideas essentially about, about the way the world should be. And if we're going to help you, and we're the new big dog on campus. This is still spill out. This is this is only a hundred years after the American Revolution. I mean, there's still a sentiment there in Britain that America is a defector, right? That the Americans are 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 cowboys. They're they're defectors from the from the play, from the plan, right? And there's a feeling in America that hey, uh, the British and 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 the French they 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 think of us as their little brother. But look at how prosperous we've become. I mean, look at how how well we're doing now. You have to come back to us and need us to stop Hitler from, from, from taking all your shit. So, you know, hey, what goes around comes around, right? That's, that's kind of underlying sentiment between the Americans and the Europeans, uh, you know, at, at the height of World War II. Um, so when World War II ends, British Empire, 
on paper, relinquishes their colonial rule, although many nations still hold their allegiance to the commonwealth. So, and not only that, but many nations still pay the commonwealth as though they were a vassal state in a vassal empire. They don't pay it to us. And so you see how this kind of deal got way off track. And, and we became, we adopted the foreign policy of the Europeans, which brings me to my, my conclusion. I hope I've, I've created a succinct picture, which we're going to continue to talk about this week. It's not over. I want to dive more into globalism, the Atlantic Charter, and, and how the, the European intellectuals sent their academics into our institutions and made us adopt this idea of being Atlanticists. I mean, we're all, we're all Atlanticists. We're all European, which was based on common use of language, English, but it was also based a, slightly on race. I mean, right? It's like, you know, it's us versus the Mongols and the Arabs and the, and the Russians or, or, the, or, the, or the Arabs. Uh, whoever they could put in another group to, to, to co-opt America into protecting them. And so what Donald Trump did that, that I still think is the most honorable and, and, and uh, definitive hallmark of his presidency was not bringing us into any new wars. And they can tell you they don't like him because of the way he tweets. They can tell you they don't like him because of his past personal relationships with women. They can tell you they don't like him because he's racist or xenophobic or whatever. Listen, the uniparty, the neocon, neoliberal world order does not like Donald Trump for one sole reason, because he refuses to fund the five to six trillion dollars that is there every year on the budget that must make do to give these two to three to four thousand administrative political elites their slice of the pie. Specifically as it pertains to military, but also when it comes to health care. They're mad because he's fucking with the money. He's fucking with the money. And not only is he fucking with the money here domestically, he's messing with the money internationally. He's saying this whole deal between us and Europe is backwards. Why do we pay you to protect you? And the conventional wisdom of the neocon is, hey, it's fine. It's fine if our dollar's there, it means we have a, we have a way to, to put our military there. And if our military there is there, then the 2 to $3 trillion from the military budget is all we really need to grease the wheel, to grease the war machine. We're fine. America's business is war. China's business is business. Per the Business Insider, just a couple weeks ago, they said, hey, China, the CCP, they're in Beijing. They've made a shift. Their business is no longer business. They're going to focus on national security and advanced weaponry and technology. As America starts to do what? We start to crank up the war machine and spread ourselves really thin ahead of a, a potential conflict there in the South China Sea with our biggest and most dangerous adversary. Now, the question is, is this all happening by accident? Now, I laid out this entire thing between the neocon, the neoliberal, uniparty, their real disdain for Donald Trump and MAGA, who by definition are America first. You can't be sending money and military resources and all this other foreign aid to countries and vassal states all around the world in perpetuity. Especially if the economy, if the national budget is in a uh, deficit where now we can become subject to the will and influence of, of foreign international agencies or 
or, you know, just just the, the, the debt alone, right? Being in debt is a vulnerable position. You're vulnerable to your debtors, right? They hate Donald Trump because he is not want, willing to keep the deal the same. He's a money guy. He, he, he's offended by the deal. <laughs> he's saying his, his point is, hey, hey, you know, we'll protect you. Don't get me wrong. But you got to pay up, right? You Europeans got to pay up. What's the Europeans play? How does globalism really start to take root in, in this, this multipolar world? Well, they're hedging their bets on both sides. They're hedging their bets on both sides as they've always done. And this is the modus operandi of the crown. And you could argue that this is part of the modus operandi that a nation like Israel, who learned from the crown, who, who was the, 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 the foster child of the crown, learn this sort of tactic. They're playing on both sides of the bet. They're on, we're on all sides. We're on all sides of the trade as America, but we're not really there as America. We're there serving the interest of the Europeans. And that's exactly what we're doing. This is not our war. This is not our war. This is Great Britain's deal down there in the Middle East. This is Great Britain's deal over there in the Ukraine. The Great Game, another historical uh, topic you should read up on. And we'll talk more about the Great Game as the Russia-Ukraine conflict potentially, you know, expands. But the Great Game is an ancient conflict between the Russian Empire and the British Empire. Ancient conflict. Ancient, ancient conflict. You know, this is their deal. On every front, it's their deal. And so the way they're hedging their bets... Hey, we'll we'll fund the neocons. We'll let the neocons be the the world's police. We'll let the neocons bat down our enemies. We'll let the neocons present the threat of violence and force. And if they have the will and if they have the the stomach for it, if they have the if they have the balls to do it, we're happy to let them keep our enemies suppressed. We're happy to let them keep their their boot on the neck of our enemies. We're happy to do that. But in the event that they fail, we need a backup plan. And what's the obvious backup plan for the Europeans and the party of Davos? Yeah, let the Americans suppress the Iranians or the Russians or the Chinese. Let them stand watch. Let them be the gunmen. Let them be the security. But if they fail, what's our backup plan? China. And not just China, potentially the access of China, Russia, and Iran. Who has more relationship, who has more positive views about a China-centric future than Europe? Nobody. Nobody's more, nobody's more pro-China in their economic trade, in their, in their business dealings, in their international relations than Europe. Only second to America, and I would argue we're doing it on behalf of the, the Europeans there as well. You got Great Britain. I mean, they gave their entire, they gave their entire uh, national security system uh, over to the CCP for pennies on the dollar, I would assume. Right? They just said, here, you know, CCTV here. You take our, you take our security. You, know, you, you run the deal. And the British want to say, well, they can't get a look at the inner code or what? Give me a break. The CCP 
They got their balls out, dragging their balls all across Great Britain right now. And not just Great Britain. So the globalists are hedging their bet. They have a two, they have a two-sided coin. They have a two-pronged plan for the future. And and right here is the most difficult thing, I think, for Americans to wrap their head around. In one scenario, in one scenario, the Americans win, the Americans win, and America becomes the uh America continues on with business as usual. But if America falls, if America collapses and China rises, what does America become? America becomes the tributary state. America becomes America becomes Persia. America becomes the Ottoman Empire. And China becomes the new protectorate of the whole world, the adjudicator, the one to settle the disputes. And the, the great mistake that the British are making, the great mistake that the Europeans are making is they think they can manipulate the Chinese. I mean, that's where the real arrogance of, of this globalist agenda and, as a, you know, subsequently, this neocon agenda really lies. They think they can outsmart the Chinese. They think they can play the Chinese. They think that, what, when, when, when it's all said and done, that the Chinese are going to allow the European uh, aristocrats to have their their um, you know their posh, luxurious positions as bannermen of the CCP and the in the in the Chinese Empire. No, no. The first thing the Chinese are going to do when they get in an advantage position, they're going to come door to door and they're going to shoot every one of these European aristocrats in the back of the head. And anybody who followed them, they're going to throw them in jail. They're going to formally re-educate them. But they probably won't even waste time with that. I mean, they only really spend time re-educating people who are Chinese. right? No, nobody's more ethno-national than the CCP. Not many people more ethno-national than the Israelis. Russia, ethno-national. The Iranians, ethno-national. There's a lot of ethno-nationalism out there on the world stage for a society and culture that says we believe in this diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, we sure want to be very global in a global community that's super ethno-national. The Europeans, the party of Davos, they're hedging their bets. They're sitting back, letting the Americans throw ourselves, hurl ourselves into everybody else's foreign, uh, foreign problems, everybody's foreign policy. And we have to play protected around the world. And I ask you at home, why? I ask Mark Levin, why? I ask neocon extraordinaires like, like David Frum or the Bushes, why? Well, why do we need to be all over the world? And what, what, what scenario, what end game is us being spread thin, this thin, not in, not, what end game does us being spread this thin not result in exactly what happened to the Roman Empire. Somebody tell me. They all talk about a plan. They all talk about being astute and learned and educated and and they have all these degrees and expertise and and they have all of these, you know, these friends or, or these little communities of people and think tanks and all that. Somebody come forward and tell us how we do not turn into the Roman Empire. Well, fellow Americans, they've already done that. They've already come in and told you how. 
They've already come in and told you how this doesn't turn into the Roman Empire. The only difference is when the, in the fall of the Roman Empire, the elites of the Roman Empire didn't get rich as it went down. Show me an empire in decline where its elites got rich as it collapsed. Show me an empire. Mark Levin, you conservative motherfucker, the great one, step right on up to the podium and tell me when there was an empire in human history where the elites got rich, substantially rich, as the ship went down. The Mark Levins of the world got rich. The George Bushes of the world got rich. The, 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 uh, the, the, the David Frums, you know, they're wealthy. Everybody's getting a check. Everybody's getting a piece, uh, you know, whether they're consultants or, or whatever the case may be. On the Democrat side, too, everybody's getting a piece of that $5 trillion chunk of taxpayer money. And not only the money, the debt, the phony money, the money that we just print, they're all getting their piece of it. You at home, you're getting screwed. You're getting fucked. You can't go to the grocery store and get eggs for a reasonable price. You can't go and get produce for a reasonable price. And not only that, you can't go get produce that on top of that, they don't want to inject with hormones to say the least, but now potentially uh, vaccine materials, synthetic materials that you don't get a choice in? Well, of course you don't. You haven't had a choice in this entire economic Ponzi scheme. You haven't had a choice in this scheme the whole time. The whole, the whole agenda is to gorilla pimp you. It's to gorilla deal you. We're going to raise the price, and you got to buy. And not only do you have to buy, you're going to beg us to buy. You're going to beg us for universal basic income. You're going to beg us for vaccines. You're going to beg us for martial law because the Muslims are coming. Not that we have 500 million guns in this country. Not that we have 500 guns in a country that's one of the most fertile and natural resource rich. And to go back to this lie from McKinder to show you that we're serving the Europeans, let's just think in first principles about this entire Eurasian world island theory. Let's say that Germany, which was the great threat at the time when he wrote the paper, he was worried that the, the Germans, uh, the, 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 um, that the Germans would be the ones to, to take Europe uh, or a German-Russian alliance or a Russia-Sino alliance, which we kind of have now, right? Um, and, and, and you can make the claim, one could make the claim that the crown originally helped motivate Adolf Hitler and the Nazis to go into Russia just for the sole purpose to ensure that John McKinder's land theory from 30 years previous didn't come to fruition between the Germans and the Russians. And today, almost 100 years later, the rift between the Russians and Germans is still so strong, it's now being played out there in the Ukraine theater. Hello? Still servicing the same interest. Don't let the Germans and the Russians come together. We let the Germans and the Russians come together. Great Britain is fucked. A Sino-Russia alliance. Well, Japan's under the rule and the, the the scope of of America. But hey, there's a new player there in the in the in the you know in the East. 
There's a new big dog in the East, been working on it for about 40 years now, called China. And if we can get China and Russia on the same page, oh boy, we got a reversal of the Mackinder World Island Theory. Iran, Russia, China. Well, let's just say they, uh, they come together and, and monopolize all the natural resources on the Eurasian landmass. What the fuck does that have to do with us? In McKinder's original theory, it's only 50% of the resources. Why? Because America and the Western Hemisphere has the other 50% of the resources. I mean, this is basic fucking math. They can tell you you need to go to Yale or West Point or Harvard or, or you know, uh, SAI, SAIS or, or one of these international schools of, of, of political poetry if, if, if they want to. You can believe it if you want to. You can believe the Mark Levin's knowledge of the, of the United States Constitution is, is so profound that, that we should call him the great one. Well, let's just get back to the basics. Let's not talk in profundities. Let's just talk about the basics. If 50% of the world's resources are there on the Eurasian landmass, and Europe had its early intellectual leaders before the start of the great conflicts of World War I and World War II, if those leaders believe that, that these resources on the Eurasian landmass must be protected, defended, even if to use divide-and-conquer strategies, promulgation of war, if need be. If 50% of the resources belong to them, if 50% of the resources are at stake there, why is it our national interest? We have everything we need right here. We have everything we need right here. Well, Kissinger changed that. The neocons actually were the original cog in the machine. They changed that. They brought us to a society. They brought us to an economy. They brought us to a Western world, a Western industrial world where our, our essentials are no longer based, manufactured here in this country or here in this hemisphere for that matter. They brought us into this brainwashed, fictitious sort of, sort of fugazi of, of globalization and, and the, the entanglement of, 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 of markets and supply chains. This is what America First really means, Mark Levin. This is the heart of what America First is really trying to talk about. Not the LGBTQ, not radical feminism in the Time's Up movement, not BLM, and not even, for that matter, Marxism there on the European continent or on the Eurasian landmass. Let all these Finocchio, European, Chinese, uh, Arabian, Marxist, communists, whatever ism jerk off they want to play with one another, let them do it. Let's bring our boys home and hold down the fort and prepare. And yeah, we're going to go to a multipolar world one way or another. Either it's going to be the managed decline of our elites or it's going to be by our own will as the American people. We the people. We better get used to it now. Bring our boys home. Hold down the fort. Get ready for the war if it comes. Maybe it doesn't. Let them have their day in the sun over there in the Eurasian landmass. Let the Europeans rise up and fight their own uh, revolutionary war against the new hegemony. But they don't want to do that because, you know, for the most part, when the Europeans get put on the griddle, a lot of them are going to sell out. I'll tell you who won't. Poland won't sell out. You know, Italy has a profound sense of national honor. They're not selling out. You know, the French can never trust them. 
they, they, you know, can never trust him respectfully. Okay. Great Britain selling out as quick as you possibly could, quicker than you could imagine. The rest of them, all oh, they'll fall like dominoes. I don't even know what to say about the rest of the European Union. Who cares? I don't need to make predictions about them. Let them fight their own revolutionary war for the McKinney. Stop using us. Stop using us to play police and, 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 and cop for the Europeans. And you have to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? I mean, in the earliest days of the Atlantic Charter and this idea of, of English Commonwealth, the Five Eyes, for example, Great Britain, okay, the UK, um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, America, all a part of the Commonwealth, yeah? Canada still pays tribute to the crown. I mean, come on, Trudeau, give me a break. Finocchio of the year. And America, all based on language, English language, the English language being the commonality that ties us together. I think we got to start looking towards the future, guys. For all my boomers out there, dear boomers, it's me, the hatchet man, okay? I think we got to start looking towards the future. Let's not let race and language be the, the silver lining of our alliance and our foreign policy. I think we're a little bit more mature and a little more wise than that, right? Are we going to keep letting the British march us around the park like their lapdog? Are we going to keep protecting the Europeans at any and all expense? Are you going to keep letting the department of your, your own elites, your own political elites, steal money from you, from your tax, from your hard-earned work, a, a, an infinite tax, an infinite amount of taxes from you, putting you in debt, putting your grandchildren in debt to protect Europe? On what basis? On what basis? Who even says their beliefs are still the same as ours? And they can talk about democracy. All I see is a bunch of European, technocratic, posh, omnisexual elites who have this comfortable, cozy, comfy position because they, all, they know that NATO's going to be right there to protect them. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that is exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I'm your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Special thank you to Band.Video for hosting our material or content my podcast on their channel special thank you to fearless and the fearless army special thank you to jason whitlock for all of the, the the support that he's provided to the podcast and to the conversation and the things that i'm trying to share with the american people thank you to vivek ramaswamy recently for having me on his podcast that podcast is doing well and and i had the honor to go before the great alex jones and the vivek ramaswamy podcast seasonal lineup and last but not least, the War Room Posse. Oh, I love you. Oh, you are my kind of people. I don't care what they say about you. There isn't a single set of circumstances that will ever get me to renounce my affiliation, my fealty, my love, respect, and admiration for the War Room Posse. You people are pipe hitters. You are the ones that are going to save this republic. And, and what I caution you towards today is not to, not to demean you. It's not to insult you. It's to try and uh, provide another perspective 
from outside of the traditional nomenclature of, of middle-aged, boomer American conservatives to see exactly who the enemy is, exactly what we must focus on. We can talk about BLM. We can talk about the LGBTQ. We can talk about the times up in radical feminism. We can even talk about Marxism. Once we restore order to our own side of this, this movement, this fight, and that fight is the Republican Party. That fight is the conservative movement. If we let neocons and rhinos lead us because they're polite, because they're polished, because they're puppets of the system, we can't save the republic. We can't do it. We just won't be able to do it. And we can do it. We can do it. 300,000 Republican Party seats, only 100,000 full. This is the precinct strategy that Steve Bannon and the great Dan Schultz and many others are trying to trying to uh, emphasize, trying to uh, help people understand the importance of. All we have to do is vote these rhinos and neocons out. And then, and then we're going to have to pray and we're going to have to huddle up with our best minds, our, our most our most integrity-based people to help sort out who we hire in the administration to, 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 to do our best to ensure that, that neocons and rhinos do not have the chance to misguide or mislead the great Donald Trump when he takes office in 2024. Isn't it glorious? Can't you feel it? Can't you feel it when a Donald Trump says, Tom Emmer, not my friend. When a, when a Donald Trump says, hey, Kevin McCarthy, I, I gave him my support, but hey, he, he made some promises he couldn't keep. Not my guy. He's got to go, right? When Donald Trump looks at the entire American audience, when, when Donald Trump goes on stage and says in the belly of the beast there with the CNN town hall and says, we just want the war to stop. You're looking at despite any flaws, despite any disagreements, despite any cultural wedge issues that you're not in alignment with Donald Trump on, the entire Ron DeSanctimonious crowd, who's the controlled, controlled opposition of neocons. Ron DeSantis is a neocon. These people who are behind him are neocons. Nikki Haley's a fucking neocon. Karl Rove, neocon. Neocon, neocon, neocon. This is the neocon. And they're going to tell you they're going to tell you that Donald Trump's morality disqualifies him from the from the office, from the seriousness of the position or the time in this country's history. They're going to tell you everything that 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 pulls on your emotion. But they're always going to fail to mention the five trillion dollar, the five trillion dollar whack up that goes to two thousand people. That perpetuates the, the, the scam the Ponzi scheme of the administrative state, the military industrial complex, your need for security. They're going to make you beg for tyranny. They're working for the globalist agenda. They're working for their own agenda, and it has nothing to do with you, and it has nothing to do with your ideas, your values, your belief about culture or about the future of this great nation. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed.